So, today we have a new series, The Deadly Seven, Overcoming the Seven Deadly Sins. Now, the seven deadly sins is not something that you will find a list of in the scriptures. It's not there. But it has become ingrained in, oh, uh, sorry, sorry kids, I forgot you were here. All right, uh, so kids, <laughs> you can line up behind Sarah over there, and you are going to sanitize. Uh, if you are in, if you're five years old, going up to grade five, and then if you're in grade six, you have a choice. You can go or stay. Uh, but it's, it's like the class day, right? If I stay, there will be trouble. Or if I, if I go, there will be trouble. If I stay, there will be double. Should I go or should I stay now? No? Okay, good. No one likes to clash here, I guess. I know my parents don't. <laughs> uh, all right. So, yeah, it's not in Scripture, but this, the seven deadly sins has become ingrained in our theology. Uh, we see it in books, in Hollywood. It's become a staple throughout church history. But unfortunately, I think as holiness has kind of become less of a focus, so this list of pitfalls has also fallen to the wayside. But I believe that as we look at these sins, we will see how vital it is to overcome these things, to know our enemy, really, to be able to overcome them in our life so it will help us to have a stronger relationship with God. All I can say is, if you're married, and say you have some of these issues in your marriage, it's going to affect your relationship with your spouse. So it is with our relationship with God. So as I said, it's not... It's not a list that is in Scripture, but, and it's reconnected. Of course it did. It works fine when I'm at home, but we come here, and it doesn't. All right. Uh, not, it's not a list in Scripture, but throughout history, throughout history, um, the church has seen these as root sins, root sins that really are the most sinister and detrimental to the Christian faith. And there have been many variations throughout history. But we settled on the seven for the last so many years. Pride, envy, anger, gluttony, greed, sloth, and lust. All right? And so we are going to go through those, not all today, throughout this series. So today, we are going to talk about the one that many believe, is the root of all sins. And it's the one that we must deal with first because it is the root. Peter Wallenberg in his, uh, Wallenbin, I don't know how to say he's German, in his amazing book, The Hidden Life of Trees. I know everyone loves books about trees, right? Yes. He writes this. When the roots are pruned, the brain-like structures are cut off along with the sensitive tips. Ouch! After that, it is as if this interference makes the trees lose their sense of direction and under, underground. So, if this is, in fact, the root sin, we need to cut the roots off first. We need to attack it at the brain. 
And guess what? It might be sensitive, and it may be painful, but I believe we need to dig deep and address this issue in our lives. And if we do, our lives will be revolutionized. And so today, we are going to talk about pride. Pride. And you may say, well, I'm not pride. I'm not pride. I'm not proud. C.S. Lewis would say, if you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited as indeed. Or, as William Law said, you can have no greater sign of confirmed pride than when you think you are humble enough. And so, we need to admit that we all have pride. Let's take this moment, let's dig deep and dive in. So first, though, let's look at what it means to be prideful. What does prideful mean? Well, Webster's Dictionary defines it as the quality of state of being proud, such as A, an inordinate self-esteem, conceit. B, a reasonable or justifiable self-respect. C, delight or elation arising from some act, possession, or relationship. Now, when we look at Scripture, they, and they speak about pride, they talk about the former, that idea of conceit. And usually it arises from the latter, the C. A possession, a relationship, a status, something we've achieved in our life. The 19th century uh, preacher Jonathan Edwards said, Human compliments are like perfume. Smell them, enjoy them while they last. Please don't drink them. They will poison you. And so... We must be careful. I believe this is why pride is the root of all sins. Because we take it in. We drink it in. And when we do, it poisons us. It inflates us. must remember that pride was the sin of Satan. It's why he fell. He put himself equal to God. C.S. Lewis pointedly tells us, it was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. See, to know God, you must be humble. Because it's only the humble that can look past themselves and see that they actually need a Savior. We have to be willing to admit that we need a king, that we are broken, that we need something else in our life other than ourselves, other than what we can do. And we need to see that we need a God. A God who, who loves us, who cares for us, who is strong enough to save, but is willing to pick us up. The prophet Obadiah, he says this to the people. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the cluster of the rocks and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? So our goal today is to shed the deception. You know, they say that pride comes before the fall. But I think Leonard Sweet was right when he said, pride doesn't come before the fall, pride is the fall. Obadiah is right that pride deceives our heart. It props us up. We put our
ourselves in the place of God, we begin to see ourselves as something that we are not. Pride is idolatry. We are now taking God's place. Pride, by its very nature, it puts us in God's place. It tells us what we deserve. Who owes us what? Who we are better than. And that has no place in the kingdom of God. Obadiah's uh, refrain here, it, it says that the people saw their earthly security as something that kept them safe. That was the thing that held them. No need for God. I, I think probably we can relate in our society, even though we're all walking around sanitizing our hands 50 million times wearing masks. Uh, you know, we, we, have, maybe we have a place to live. We have clothes on our back. You know, generally we have income coming in. If we don't, well, good thing we have the government. They can throw us some. We have all the securities we need. Why do we need God? It's interesting that it's in the brokenness of our lives when we, you know, you can't turn your face away from the brokenness. That's usually when we turn back to God. God wants us, but we have to see that we need God. You know, we have our securities, our position, our status. And the simple fact is we many times perceive ourselves better than someone else. We look at someone else and we see their brokenness and we say, well, I'm not as broken as them, so I don't, I'm good, right? I can go on with my life. I can do what I'm doing because I'm not like them. We're not like those people, right? We, who you know, they look like this, or they look like that, or, you know, those people who have this, or have that, or the other thing. And we elevate ourselves in our own minds. And when we do that, we actually devalue the other person. And it doesn't matter what action comes next, whether we treat them with disrespect or not, the fall has been committed in our mind. We are, we are dealing with pride. I don't know about you, I don't always act on it, but sometimes I'll be doing something, maybe interacting with someone, or I see someone. This happens especially when I'm driving, right? And you see someone do something, and you make a judgment right then about who they are, you know, what they do. You have their whole life story made, right? That's pride in me. I'm no longer viewing them as a child of God. I'm viewing them as an item, as a disposable thing. And I believe this is why uh, pride is the root. Because if you look at all the seven deadly sins, they all come back to this idea of pride in our heart, our idea of putting ourselves in God's place. Lust. It devalues another person. It treats them as an item. Something so we can get what we want. Gluttony is that we want more, even though there's others who are in need. Anger, we want to control the situation. We want things to happen our way. I want it my way, right? Is, is that right? Greed, we keep what we have even though others are in need. These are all forms of pride. And they're all forms of idolatry. We are putting ourselves in God's place. 
So yes, pride isn't before the fall. Let's not dilute ourselves. Pride is the fall. And so we need to recognize this in ourselves and we need to attack the root. So how do we attack it? Or how do we attack it? How do we recognize this in ourselves? Jim Richard said, man would rather live in his current pain than face the greater perceived pain of being wrong, thereby injuring his misplaced pride. A kid just got shot. He must have had the big C. So boom, had to take him out. It's new rules, new rules. I, I'm sure that was in Strang's uh, talk. Here's the thing. If we are willing to admit that there could possibly be pride in us, I think that is the first step. I believe God meets us at our baby steps and nudges us forward. I can't nudge too forward because then I have to put a mask on. I got to keep my distance. But I... You know, it's guaranteed that we all have pride to some level. But if we are willing to admit it, we are on that first step to, to going deep. So how can we know that pride is an issue in our life? If one of these things is true for you, you don't have to raise your hand, all right? We're not doing that. But if one of these is true for you, you can know that there might be pride, all right? It might be time for a heart check. Few lasting relationships. The conversations you have are mainly about others. You assume the worst and judge others. You excuse and justify your actions. You rarely apologize. You are easily offended, and you smell it easily on others. These are all signs of pride. I know I can smell pride on others, <laughs> right? You know what that means. Now, to clarify, it, it is not... This is not about being proud of an accomplishment or your children or your spouse or a friend. Like you be proud for people and, and for things that happen in your life. But all those things can become pride if we use them to elevate ourselves above others. What we are talking about when we talk about pride is something that is divisive. Pride forces us to posture ourselves above one another. So any of those former ones, even though they are not negative, they are not inherently bad, they can become negative in our life. But it's when we allow them to elevate us. When we see, well, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of someone like famous who I was friends with who I could, but I have no friends. <sighs> Uh, but, uh, right, like, I know the tech guy. <laughs> I'm in with him. Right? It's, we can use anything, right, to elevate ourselves above someone else. I can do more push-ups than you. <laughs> Maybe. But enough about the negatives. Let's talk about the remedy. Isn't that the best part? The remedy. What is the remedy for this pervasive sin? Well, first off, we need Jesus. Right? Let's expand on this. It still doesn't work. So when we talk about Jesus, first, we need to repent. We need to repent to God, and we need to repent to others. And I believe that repentance is our biggest weapon against 
pride. Jesus taught this repeatedly. Now, when we use this word repentance, we're not talking about just saying, I'm sorry. Repentance literally means turning. Like, you're going the opposite. You're going the wrong. So if you're going this way, you're going to follow the arrows instead. That's just a quick reminder. Right? We follow the right path, the path that God has laid out for us. We are doing this. We repent. We do this. Sorry is great. I think words are important. We need to confess with our mouth the things we've done. We need to say sorry to people, to God. But we need to match our words with our actions. And we need to match our actions with our words. They need to align. Repentance requires us to put ourselves in the proper place with God. It's us saying, God, you will be first. I'm going to turn. I'm going to follow you. Not me. And this is probably something we need to do like every second of our life, at least when we're driving. Two, we need to serve. Serve. Now, serving can be manipulated into pride, but when we are doing that, we are, as soon as we take our service and we are leveraging it to say that we're better than someone else, you are no longer serving. But this is about considering ourselves less than another, and serving them. Jesus showed, Jesus showed us this example. Jesus served the people. He served the disciples. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Philippi, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Jesus showed for us self-sacrificial love. He showed us what it looked like. He taught us all about it. He showed us that self-sacrificial love is the best way to live and it is the cure for the malady of pride that is in our hearts. So these are reasons why we need, we need to admit. We need to admit that we need God and we need to accept the grace. And then we need to walk in it by serving one another, considering ourselves less than. Isn't that what God did through the incarnation, through Jesus coming to earth? He could have come with thunder and lightning. There's a little bit of a show display, you know, but the humility of a child, a baby. We need to find ourselves lifting people up, not pushing them down, saying, try and climb the ladder, try and get to our holiness. We need to be like God who comes and lifts others up. That is what God's all about. You know, no matter what you have done in life, the grace of God is sufficient to deal with the muck that's going on. Doesn't matter who you are. I'm going to quote the Backstreet Boys. Where you're from. Don't care what you did. Jesus loves you. Jesus came for you. 
Just because you manifest your sin differently than I manifest mine doesn't mean God loves you any less than he loves me. And so, as soon as we start thinking that we are better, we start putting ourselves in God's place. We say, yeah, I, maybe I deserve the grace. They don't. And we become God. We decide who gets the grace, who doesn't, who's in, who's out. But God has come with grace to lead us to life and wholeness. A wholeness is only found in the life, the death, the resurrection of Christ. We need the purifying touch of God. The cross is essential. But as much as the cross is essential, as much as we need Christ in our life, we must remember that what happened that day on the cross was only part of the story. See, Christ's death and resurrection was Emmanuel, God with us. But because of what Christ did on the cross, we now have the Holy Spirit, God in us. This is what Jesus did that day. The veil was torn, not so that we could look God at afar, but that we could know God in us. You want to know how to fight pride in your heart? We need to invite the Holy Spirit to work in us. Leonard Sweet says, the Holy Spirit baptism is the purifying fire that burns up the chaff of sin, pride, and selfishness. The Holy Spirit's power either blesses or burns. This is true. We need to experience God in the fullness, the fullness of God. It's great to know, but we must know deep within us. We cannot fight sin in our own power. We need the power of the living God in us, working through us. If you want to defeat pride in your heart, you need the Holy Spirit to work. It's not just enough to follow the steps. As Bill Johnson says, if we have knowledge without an encounter, our pride can actually prohibit us from encountering God. Those who knew the most about God in Jesus' day failed to recognize his son as he spoke and worked miracles in front of them. I would hate for us to know but never experience. You know, we can see that, right, in, in our earthly relationships. We can know people, but we don't experience each other. And so it is with God. We come here, you know, maybe you can told off all your verses. Or maybe, maybe you know your, your uh, systematic theology. Maybe you're big in apologetics. Maybe you know Wayne Grudem's systematic theology from the beginning to the end. I don't recommend it. Too reformed for me. Uh, but that doesn't make God love you more. It doesn't make you experience God more. God wants something real in your life, something that comes inside and deals with what's going on. This is not about the five steps you can take to defeat pride in your heart. Yes, 
There are steps we can and we must take. We must repent. We need to serve. We need to let God work. But until we experience a touch from God, we will never know what it means to find wholeness in God. So today, let's admit our pride and turn. Turn to Christ, the cure. Let's repent and serve. Today, let's God's grace be shed abroad upon our hearts as we invite the Holy Spirit in to change us. Let's walk in the wholeness of God. All right, question and response time. Maybe you have a question about something was said. Maybe you want to push back on something. Maybe you'd like some clarity. Uh, we need a poll to tape the mic to. Uh, if you have a question, just stick your hand up and we can come around with the mic. If not. So today's society, uh, with the, uh, how, I, I guess, our, perhaps our children are instructed, so somehow, the, you know, some of the younger people in our society, uh, everything is geared and generated towards their self-pride and their self-importance. Uh, so how do we uh, manage that? Great question. Who wants to answer that one? <laughs> uh, I, yeah, there, there's this like yin and yang almost. You are infinitely important to God, but we are infinitely broken. And so how we do that, I don't know. <laughs> Best we can. Uh, I think, I think as parents of kids who we want to grow up knowing God, it's teaching them that, one, they are no better than anyone else, right? Two, they are infinitely important. God loves them. Three, most importantly, Jesus is king, though. Right? There's a reason the Ten Commandments starts with the Lord's your God. I am the God who delivered you, who saved you. There will be no other gods before me. And we use this, we've talked about this word monolatry often, right? Where we have one God, but he's above all the other little gods. And we have that in our life. And I think the biggest thing is teaching our kids, and they're not going to get it in school. We have to teach it in our homes and in our church teach them that Jesus is king. And I think as, as, as long as we have that, the rest will fall into place. It's like in Matthew when Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is like it. Love others as yourself. And as we talked in our, our Mission and Vision Sundays, that as we love God, then naturally, we'll, naturally we will love others. And so that, I think that helps us put us in perspective. As long as God is first, God is king. Yeah. I don't know if that answers it, but hopefully that helps. And, you know, my kids grow up to be delinquents who are very prideful. You can look back on today and say, hey, I should have done it different. But also, also a thing we try and do with our kids is we try and repent to our kids all the time. Like when we do something wrong as a parent, 
we maybe use our authority, we make a judgment on them, we assume something. We teach our kids about repentance by repenting to our kids. Hey, listen, I'm sorry, I messed up. And uh, the hope is that they too will become people who can repent, who can show their brokenness. And uh, I think that's most important. As I wrote in my book, Hidden Faces, available on Amazon.ca, Kindle and paperback, uh, we, we cover up the faces, right? We use these faces, and pride is just a face that we use to hide the brokenness. And we layer it upon layer like a, a decoupage, like paper mache. But, but we need to shed the facade, and that's the hardest part. I think that's what it means to be humble. Being humble isn't thinking of yourself as garbage. Being humble is thinking of yourself as who you actually are. We're broken, but we have a king who restores. All right. Any other questions? All right. So what's the point? One, we're all guilty. We all deal with pride. Two, let's follow Jesus' examples. Thank you for following the arrows. That's great. We need to follow Jesus' example. Repentance. Serving one another. Self-sacrificial love. Allowing God to work in us. And three, we need to invite the Holy Spirit to move in our lives. So we'll discuss that more in anchor groups. And we'll have some time to pray together and dive deep into that. And so I encourage you to sign up for those. As we conclude today, let's, let's pray before we sing our last song. Lord, we lift you up. And we declare... Lord, we are broken, and we think we hide it so well, but we know we don't. We know deep down we don't. And you know, and you see what's going on inside of us. So, Lord, help us. Help us to confess, confess the brokenness in our hearts. Let's lean not on our own understanding, but let's follow you, your example. The way that you have showed us to live and love. Lord, help us to be humble. I know that's a scary prayer, Lord. But help us. You are the God of the humble, the broken, the weak. Help us to know that we are and to lean on your unbreakable grace. Lord, this morning, be our king. Reign in our hearts, in our lives, in our sphere of influence. Holy Spirit, move in us. We need your sanctifying touch, your purification, your, that blessing, that cure, that fire inside of our hearts that burns away the chaff and makes us whole. So Lord, be our king this day, in your name, amen.